We're in a series of messages called Together. We're talking about the power of community. And what we've learned is, is that God created us to be in community. And today I want to talk to you about how it's in community that we understand and form our identity. Uh, the scriptures that we just heard these students share a few moments ago, how awesome and perfect they were to talk about the fact that we were created by God. We understand that we do have an identity and that identity is being formed all the time. In fact, the last two weeks, the first two weeks of this series, we've learned about the power of attachment and how when we attach to people, that people influence us into who we become. So the question is, are we being influenced by the right people to become who we're becoming? And the other question is, who are we becoming? It's important for us to think about who we are. In fact, I want you to think about identity in two different ways. One is as an individual, and thinking about identity as an individual answers the question, who am I? But I also want you to think about identity in another way. I want you to think about group identity. Group identity is who are we? Who are we together? I mean, who are we as a people? What identifies us as this group of people? So we're going to actually talk about both of those things today. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I've been reading a book. It's called The Other Half of the Church, and it talks about how we're developed in our character and how we become the people that we are in character. And one of the things that it talks about is this whole concept of identity. And it's important for us to think about it uh, in, in the right way. In fact, it talks about these two different ideas of individualistic and group uh, identity. It, it mentioned this, that in our Western civilizations, that individual identity is the prime time of identity. It seems like most emphasis is put on the individual. Who am I? What do I want to be? But in many other cultures around the world, it's not placed on group identity. It's it's, placed, it's not placed on the individual identity, it's placed on group identity, or in other words, about our group values. Who are we as a family? Who are we as a nation? Who are we as a body of whoever? Who are we? For them, it's much more important to think about us than it is to think about me. And we understand that because in our Western culture, we hear about me all the time. But we need to understand how these two actually go together. And we'll be learning about this by taking a look at uh, how God created us. I mentioned to you uh, last week that, that God created us actually physically with the ability to be in community. Because we learned that the strongest force in our brain is attachment. That we're constantly looking to attach to either someone or something. And we attach to someone or some, something to try to find value about our own life. To make sense of our own life. Uh, what we also learned about the brain is this, that the brain changes over time. That when we're born, that our brain is much more individualistic. In fact, it's, it's more concentrated on self. I mean, the attachment that's made for a newborn and an infant is basically with a parent or a caregiver. It's not about a, a group of people. It's about someone that's helping them meet their personal needs. So it's very individualistic. 
But what we learn is, as time goes by, when you get about 12 years old, our brain begins to transform and change, and now it becomes just as important that we connect and attach within a group. Our brain connects within a group identity. Now, I'm going to prove it to you in a very simple way. All right, here it is. Are you ready for it? Middle schoolers. Okay? Right? I want you to think about middle schoolers. Because in middle school, it's around that age group. Y'all, they're just all over the place. Do I have a witness out there from anybody? Y'all, I'm not saying this to talk bad about middle schoolers. I was a middle schooler one at one time. I was a saint, obviously, but I, I was a middle schooler at one time. That is not true by any stretch of the imagination. We all go through that age. And when we're going through that age, we're trying to find a group to attach to, aren't we? I mean, group drama in middle school is off the chart. Y'all, we have a Christian middle school. They're supposed to be godly kids. It ain't so, y'all. I'm just telling you. It's just not so. We all struggle with that because we're trying to find a place to get connected because the group becomes important to us. So we're going to talk about that group identity, but we're also going to talk about the individual. And I want to begin actually with the individual. So on your outline sheet, I want you to fill in this first statement. It says this, that I am created in the image. I am created in the image, and I'm created in the image of someone. You probably already have figured that out by now because of the scripture that we've already heard in this, in this uh, time of worship today. But this is what it says in Genesis chapter chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. So we're created in the image of God. So I have a question. What is the image of God? That's a big question, isn't it? So what is the image of God? Now, I'm going to sound a little redundant because I've talked about this so many times here before. In fact, I talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago in the first uh, message in this series about the five different parts of our life. If there are five parts of my life, I was created with those five parts of my life, which means this, if I'm created in the image of God, then God also must have the same five parts of life that I have. Does that sound like logical reasoning? So if I'm creating his image, then I am physical, I'm social, I, I'm emotional, I'm mental, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm all these different five parts of life. So what I wanna do just for a few moments is talk about our identity with God related to each one of those, and maybe in a little bit more in-depth way. So we'll begin with this first one. On your outline sheet, it says this, we're able to accomplish things. God created us with the ability to accomplish things, to build things, to change things, to do things, all right, to be active and make a difference in the world. And the way he did this was through our physical part of our life. So God created us, this part of life, the physical part of life. Now, this is kind of interesting because, y'all, this is really is going to sound kind of deep because I'm created in the image of God. I am a physical being, but in the Bible, it says that God is a spiritual being. In fact, in John chapter four, it talks about that, that we're just to worship the God in spirit and truth. And that these are the type of worshipers that God seeks. And then it says this, that God is spirit, so we must seek him with spirit and truth. So he's spirit, but he created me physically. 
But just because God is spiritual or a spirit, I am physical, we still are able to do the same things. Now, y'all, I, this is, it's really deep. I know, again, it's just kind of follow me here, all right? Um, God created me physically with my senses so I can see and I can hear and I can touch and I can smell and I, all of these things, right? I can do these things with my senses. But doesn't in the Bible it say that God does the same things? Let me ask you a question. Does, does God see us? God sees us. Does God hear us? He hears us, right? Uh, he, he does all of these, even smells. I mean, even uh, in the, the Old Testament in Genesis, when Noah and the ark, the whole situation, he built an altar to, to God and it was a burnt offering. And the Bible says this, that it was like a, a sweet incense smell to God, that God smelled what it was. God uses his senses and he created us with the ability to use those very same senses to do things in the world. So the the whole concept here, and the reason why I say it's to accomplish things, it's not about being spirit or physical. It's about what we do to bring change in our world. God created us with the ability to make a difference. If you're excited about that, say amen. It's pretty deep. Second thing, let's write this down. We are able to be in relationships. God is in relationship. Again, this is kind of deep because God is three persons. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's the Trinity of God. If you'd like to understand that, you're not going to really understand today because I'm not going to talk about it, all right? Because <laughs> it's so confusing, isn't it? How can you be God and Father and Son? I mean, I, I've heard it this way, that God is all three because it's like I, I, Tim, am a father, I am a son, I am a, an employee, I, am, I have different roles, and God has different roles in these three parts. What we see about God being three is that God himself is the vision and the picture of community. He's in a community himself. He created us to be in community. We are, this is so important because it's in community, listen, that we are fulfilled. We are fulfilled within community. So what do I mean by that? On your outline sheet, this is kind of deep as well, but let's write this down. In community, there is someone to love, God created me with the the capacity to love. There's someone to help. I can help other people, but other people can help me in my time of need. In community, there's someone to learn from. So we need other people to learn from and also that we can teach things to. And the final thing is this, there's someone to work with for a common good. So we can work together with others to make a difference in the world. Why can we work together? Because of the first thing, we can accomplish things, right? He created us with abilities through our senses that when we come together and use our abilities together, it multiplies what it is that we're able to do for him. Here's the third thing. Uh, We are able to make decisions. So this is the mental part of life. We are created in the image of God, and there's something unique in our being created in the image of God, and this is what it is. God has free choice. God is God, he's over everything. He's free to choose to do whatever he wants to do. But when he created us, God created us with free choice. In other words, when he created us, he didn't create us with a programmed brain to do what he tells us to do. He created us with a mind, with a brain, to be able to process information, to be able to look at things and make a determination between something being right or wrong and to make our decisions accordingly. 
That's what he's given us the ability to do. So we have the power, the ability with our free choice to decide what we're gonna do. So we're creating the image of God. He's not making us do anything. Here's something else. We're able to have feelings. God has feelings. The reason why I know God has feelings is because in the Bible, in several places, it talks about God being angry, that God would get angry about certain things. We also know that God is loving, that he, matter of fact, he's defined as God is love, right? But he shows love to people. That is an emotion. God created us with the ability to have emotions. Now, I want you to think about emotions in a very important way. Emotions are indicators about our identity. Okay, that's a deep, heavy statement right there. Our emotions are indicators about our identity. For example, if I am insecure because I find my identity in what you think of me, so my identity is in in what you think of me, that's how I measure my self-worth. So if I'm insecure and I find my identity in what you think of me and you say something bad about me or do something against me and hurt me, then I'm going to respond, how? Emotionally and become angry and depressed and anxious and bitter and all of these things. So what does that say? My emotions just indicated to me where I'm finding my identity from. Because I responded the way you did, according to what you did to me, my emotions are telling me a message. You are trying to find your identity in the wrong place because these unhealthy emotions are coming out of you. Is that, y'all understand that? Again, it's pretty heavy. This message is pretty heavy, I'm just telling you. It's pretty heavy stuff. Well, let's think of it in a positive way. Let's say that I'm not insecure, but I'm secure, which means this, I find my identity in who God created me to be and living up to his expectations, and knowing that God still loves me even though I fail, even though I make mistakes, God still loves me and wants the best for me and to help me. So somebody else says something terrible to me, says bad things about me, spreads rumors about me, gossips about me, does something to hurt me, but my identity is not in what people think about me. My identity is in the fact that God loves me no matter what's going on in my life. So therefore, guess what? I still have joy and peace and hope in the midst of somebody being a jerk. Y'all, it freaks people out, does it not? Because that ain't right. That's not the way the world. The way of the world is you do something to other people, people get ticked off. But the way of God is other people do things to you. You don't get ticked off, you love them because all they're doing is saying, I've got a problem that needs to be fixed and we get to be the ones who help fix it, amen? That's where we're supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to live. So our emotions give it away. There's something else. We're able to believe. This is the spiritual part of our lives, right? So we've talked about the physical, the relation, the social part, the mental part, the emotional part, and now the spiritual part. I've already said this the last two weeks. We all believe in something. All of us are spiritual. We'll say deep down in my spirit, I know this is true. What is true? To live for this is true. To live for this is what life should be about. And again, I just really broke it down into very simplistic, maybe too simplistic way of thinking about it. But I either live to get, to get things for myself, me the individual, my my identity, okay? I live to get things for me that are gonna benefit me 
And if that's what I live for, I become the center of my own universe, and therefore I use people around me or use circumstances around me to gain something for my benefit, and I become very selfish in character. That's my character. Or I'm the complete opposite. I live not to get, but I live to give. I live to to bring a positive change in other people's lives, to influence them in a positive way, to be helpful to them when things aren't going right. I do that, and when I'm living that way to give, then I become very selfless in my character. I become very selfless in who I am. So we all believe in something, so we go in one of those two directions. God created us in his image with these five abilities. The ability to accomplish something, the ability to have relationships where we love, where we help, where we learn from, and we work together with people. He created us with the ability, with our free choice, to make decisions with our mind, to know the difference between right and wrong, and make our own choice accordingly. He created us with feelings to be the indicators to help us see what we're really living for, and he created us all with something to live for, to believe in. Whatever you believe in, y'all, this is heavy, whatever you believe in becomes your purpose. My purpose is to get or my purpose is to give. Now, as long as everything's going hunky-dory and everything's good and peachy keen, I'm happy. For example, I could be in a community of people. Again, we learn these things about who we should be from others I mean, this is being taught to us by the people who influence us, the people that we attach ourselves to are teaching us either to be getters or givers, all right, whoever it is. If I've attached myself to worldly people who are about getting things, as long as I am successful, as long as I have relationships that are solid, have good friendships, a good marriage, as long as I am not making bad decisions, I'm making good decisions that are helping me financially or to succeed in some areas of life, as long as I'm not an emotional wreck, as long as I'm getting what I want to get, then everything's fine. Everything's great. No need to change at all. But let me ask you a question. What happens when it doesn't. What happens when you become a failure? What happens when you're not successful but you become a failure? What happens when you had a relationship that was solid, a marriage that was great, and it fell apart? Or a relationship with a parent or a child which has caused you now to be against each other instead of for each other? What happens when you make some really bad, poor financial decisions and invest in the wrong things and go bankrupt? What happens if you're discouraged and depressed and angry and bitter all the time? Well, why are you in this condition? Because you believe that life is about getting, and I'm not getting it so I'm in misery. I'm in a bad place. So what do you do then? Let me ask this. You want to get even deeper? What if you have everything and you still aren't happy? Oh, my soul. You mean that's possible? Look at the rich people of this world, right? These people are all famous and got everything in the world, and they're like, I've got money, I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, and they're still not happy. Why? Because they still think it's about what they're getting, and they can't seem to get enough, even though it seems like they got it all. 
and they're not happy. Their emotional lives are telling them something about you've got the wrong identity. You've got the wrong identity because that's not the identity we were created for. Now, let me give you some good news. If we've got the wrong identity, we can have a new one. On your outline sheet number two, let's write it down. I can become new. I love this, y'all. This gives me hope that if my life is a mess, I can have a better future. I can have a great future. Scripture says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Y'all, if you're a Christian today, aren't you glad the new is here? Amen? Because the reason why you are a Christian is because the old was here, and you got sick of it, and you needed a new change of life. Otherwise, you would have never given your life to Jesus. So what this says to me is God can use these things that are falling apart in my life to help me find the right identity so that I can have joy in my life at all times. God wants me to experience it. But for me to do it, I've got to figure out that what I was living for was wrong. Y'all read uh, this week somewhere, it said this, the three hardest things to say are, I was wrong, I need help, and Worcestershire sauce, okay? I'm not sure what that, that's not, y'all, sometimes I get my information, as you know, from Instagram, okay? So that's where I got that. So, but the first two are really important, don't you think? It's hard to say I was wrong and to say I need help. Now, let's think about that for a minute. If I was wrong, why was I wrong? Because I didn't think I needed help. Isn't that why we were wrong? Because we thought we could handle it on our own. The second thing is I need help because now I have to change my whole philosophy about life. It's not about me being the center. It's about me understanding there are others in this world that we work together for a common good. That's where help comes from. We need help from each other. So when will this happen? When will it happen? On your outline sheet, let's write this down. I can have a fresh start. If you're excited about that, say amen. Amen. And we can have a fresh start. We can start over. When will it happen? When my way of life has broken down. When things aren't going well, what I was living for doesn't work anymore. And what happens when my way of life breaks down? Let's write this next statement down. I feel broken and in need of help. And that's when I'm willing to say I was wrong and I need help. I feel broken and I need help. Is that where you are in your life? Is that what's going on with you? I mean, if you've gotten to a place where you've been trying to figure everything else out and you're just not happy and you get to the place where you understand and recognize I am at a place where I need to experience change. Well, where does that change start? Let me tell you where the change starts. For us to become new, for us to have a new life, we have to have a new heart. So on your outline sheet, I want you to write that down. It happens when my heart changes. I have a new heart. I, I fall in love. I've been in love with me because I'm awesome, right? I've been in love with me, but now I've got to fall in love with someone else. Well, who is it that I'm going to fall in love with? Well, that's a really good question. 
I, uh, to answer that, I, I want to refer to uh, uh, something else that I saw this past week. I was watching a Netflix documentary. Um, it's, it's new. It's called The Saint of Second Chances, and it's a, I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's a baseball documentary. I'm a big baseball fan. That's me. Love sports, and it's about uh, Mike Veck. Mike Veck is the son of Bill Veck. Bill Veck was the owner of the Chicago White Sox baseball team all right, years ago. Mike, his son, Bill gave him the job to get more people in the stands. So it was Mike who came up with these ideas, crazy ideas about, you know, hot dogs and drinks chasing each other around the, you know, these races and all of these different things. I mean, they did all kind of stuff, uh, you know, in the ballpark to get people to come to have these games. And he's the one, he's the father of all that. Mike's the father of doing all that. Well, he came up with this grand idea. It was like death to disco night or something. Y'all remember this? Some of y'all who are older, any of y'all remember that? Okay, it was like death to disco. I'm not sure if I'm saying it the right way, but what happened was they asked everybody, if you want to bring your disco albums, we're going to blow up the disco album. So y'all, it was crazy. It was insane. They sold out the stadium. In fact, they sold, there were too many people trying to get, they were coming over the walls into the stadium to get, these people were crazy, y'all. And it's unreal. So they bring all these albums in and then they go out there in the field and they blow up the, the albums. Y'all, this was this was supposed to be a good idea. I'm not sure where that part came from, all right? The, the crowd went crazy. They, mark, they go down on the field. They start tearing everything up. The riot squad come in, and it's just a terrible, terrible situation. Well, Mike quit his job. I mean, his dad's the owner of the team. He quit his job because of this huge, massive failure. It was all in the papers. It was every. It was on the news. I remember seeing something about it when I was young, all right? It was all over the place. He quit his job, and he went down, started drinking. His marriage fell apart. His relationship, the one that was most had a kid, relationship just blew apart. It was over. Having a hard time making any money, just going through all of this chaos. And then someone came into his life. It was another young lady. And this young lady really cared about him and fell in love with him and believed in him. Even though he was a huge failure, had done this, she believed in him and started working to help him restore his career. Now, there's a reason why I'm sharing this story about, about Mike. Because this is what happens when we fall in love. Especially in this situation. We're broken. And we're looking for somebody who loves us even though we're broken and we've made these mistakes. In fact, not only are we looking for somebody who cares about us and loves us, but we're looking for someone who believes in us and someone who, who wants to help restore us to be better. You know what happens when that happens? We fall in love with that person. Their love causes us to fall in love with them. Y'all, this is good right here. It was an amazing love story. Great marriage, all of that. But let me just tell you something right now. There's a place in relationships where we as human beings aren't strong enough to deal with everything, but there is a God who loves us, amen? 
There is a God who loves us that even in our failure, even in our brokenness that is self-inflicted, that God looks at us and says, I still believe in Tim. In fact, I believe in him so much, I want to show my love to him to help him get up and be restored so he can be everything that I created him to be. I believe in him. And that's what God did for me. And because God showed his love to me, it caused me to fall in love with God, to have a change of heart. That's what we're needing when we're broken because of our own failures, because of our own living for the wrong things. We need somebody who still loves us anyway to fall in love with them. That gives real strength to what Jesus said when he was asked what the greatest command was. When he made this statement, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Why would you do that? Because God loves me in my brokenness. God wants to restore me. He believes in me. That's why I'm that way. I'm passionate about God because he's that way. And something happens when we have a passionate heart toward God. Our soul changes. Our heart our soul changes, what we believe in changes. I believed that my life was about getting, but now my belief is in what you, God, are all about. That's why Jesus said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine how life would be if you loved everybody else as much as you love yourself? Oh, my soul, going from somebody who loved himself, fell in love with himself, wow, how could things change if I actually loved everybody else as much as I loved me? Things change and things become different because of it. Why? Because I'm finding a new identity. I have a new heart that's changing me. When does this happen? I wanna go back to what it said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say this phrase with me, here we go. If anyone is in Christ, okay. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So for us to be a new creation, for the new to come, for the old to be gone, the new being here, something has to happen. Jesus has to happen. If anyone is in Christ, Jesus has to happen. Oh, my soul, what does that mean? I've got a new relationship. Well, that's cool because God created me in his image for relationships. To love people and to help people, right? To serve people and to work with people. He created me for that purpose. God created me for this, so I need to meet Jesus. And when I meet Jesus in a relationship, I have just entered into a new community, a new community where Jesus now becomes the source of my identity. Why do I need Jesus? Y'all, this is huge. Here's the reason why I need Jesus. Because it's Jesus who gives me the one thing that I need to fix my life. Oh, my soul. Tim talking about those one things again. How can it all come down to one thing? Because there's one thing that's separating me from myself and God. It's sin. So the one thing that I need to be connected with God and find a new identity is something called forgiveness. And it's a gift that only Jesus offers us. On your outline sheet, I want you to write down that statement. It happens when I experience 
forgiveness. And Jesus is the one who gives me that forgiveness. In the scripture, Jesus said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is it only through Jesus? Doesn't that seem kind of narrow-minded? Well, let me tell you the reason why it's only through Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who offers forgiveness. All the other religions are telling you to follow a bunch of rules and you're a big messed up person, broken person, if you can't follow all the rules. I mean, every other religion, you talk about Buddhism and Hinduism and Hinduism and the Islamic faith and the Jewish faith and all of these other types of religion, they have rules, you follow the rules to earn your way to God. That's their methodology. Nowhere in there is forgiveness, it's do this and you earn your way to God. And this is what God knows about us. Y'all, we're all screw-ups. Can I say that in the church? I just did. We're all messed up. And God knows that we will not obey the rules all the time. And when I disobeyed a rule in my household, I got a whooping. Do I have a witness from anybody out there? Oh, some of y'all went to timeout. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, okay. I got a whooping when I did something wrong. Why? Because you're punished when you do things wrong. That's what happens. But Jesus looked down upon us and said, they're screw-ups. Okay, he didn't say it that way, but you get it. They're messed up and was willing to come to this earth to take our punishment for us on the cross, to die for our sins so that we don't have to, to give us the one gift that makes the difference in our life, forgiveness. First John 1, 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what does the first part of it say? Let's look at it. First John chapter one, verses eight and nine. For God, uh, if we claim, is it on your outline sheet? It's on my, it's on my thing, okay. Oh, there it is. If we claim to be without sin, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's nothing wrong with me. It's everybody else's fault. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, I've got to get to this part where I can say the three hardest things in the world to say. I was wrong. I need help. The third one doesn't matter, okay? So that's what it is to be able to get here to receive the forgiveness that God offers me. That's what he's offering. And what happens? I become new. I have a new spirit. It's not my spirit, it's God's spirit. Final thing on this point. Number, uh, let's go ahead. I have a, it happens when I have a new spirit. There's the statement. It happens when I have a new spirit. Listen to the scripture, 1 Corinthians 2. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Why, what does the spirit offer? The spirit offers forgiveness to us. And the reason why they don't understand what the Spirit is offering is because they don't think they've done anything wrong. This is full. What do you mean I did something wrong? That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. They still believe this wrong pathway of life. But then it says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere, merely human judgments. For Oh, I love it. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. In other words, y'all, this is good. Jesus 
is our identity. All of us who know him are trying to think like Jesus thinks, to accomplish what Jesus accomplished, to be in relationships, to love people, to help people, to learn from people, to work together uh, with people. He wants us to, to be thinking about right and wrong and to do what is right. He wants us to be experiencing joy and hope and peace at all times because we're believing that life is not about me and what I get, it's about you and what I give. Jesus is our identity. So what do we need? We need a new community. Number three, I need a new community. And that new community, we're just gonna give, give it a name. The church. It's the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, here's the thing that all of us have in common as Christians. All of us have our identity in Christ and we are working to think like him and be like him. That's what we're trying to do. So what does that look like? Let's go back, and I just made reference to it very quickly in what I just said just a second ago. Let's go back and think about how God created us in his image. The first thing was we can accomplish things, the whole physical, spiritual thing, you remember that. The second thing was this, that he created us socially to be in relationships. He created us to love. He created us to be able to make a difference in other people because of that love. So that's what this community is supposed to be about. We're in a, a community who loves me. I'm in a community who loves me. I'm in a community of people who give. That's the, the key word around here, the word give. In other words, they're willing to make sacrifices for my well-being. That's how much they love me. That's what Jesus did for me. And to be the body of Christ, that's what I need to do. I need a community who not only loves me, but there's a community who also wants to help me, right? Who helps me when I'm in need. In other words, I need to be people when I'm, I have a physical need or emotional need or whatever need it is in my life, that there are people who are trying to help me, encourage me. They serve me. That's what it's called around here. I need to be in a community who can help me learn. That's the grow part of this, that they can help me learn in areas of my weakness where I continue to fail about how to make the right decisions to be more like Jesus every day. I need a community who does this, and I need a community who is there to, to work with for a common good so that together we can reach, just that word reach, that we can reach the world with the good news of Jesus to spread his love to people who don't need it, who need it. In other words, I need a, a community who reach, grow, serve, and give. You would think we'd thought about that around here because it's right there on the back walls on both sides. The reason why we have these words on the back of our walls as a church is because that is what identifies us as a group. These are our values to lead us to become more like Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Are you going through a hard time? It might be that you're experiencing brokenness, that you're broken, your spirit's broken, that you're, that you're just going through suffering. I mean, they're just hard things that have happened because things aren't working out the way they're supposed to when it's all about what I get. God's using that to help you see you've been living for the wrong identity. He wants you to have a relationship with him. 
Let me tell you this about God. Even though we fail, God still cares about us. He loves us. He believes in us. And he wants to help us. And the way he wants to help us is to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong. The Bible tells us how it happens. It's through prayer. The Bible says this, if we call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. Saved from what? From being separated from God. That's what sin does. It separates us from having a relationship with God. But God still loves us so much that he wants that relationship. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, to take the punishment for our sins. We need the greatest gift, the one gift that changes everything, forgiveness. And it comes through accepting what Jesus did. So if you're not a Christian today, I wanna help you make the most important decision you could ever make in your life is to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So I wanna ask you to pray. I want you to imagine God sitting on his throne right now and I wanna ask you just to say these words to him, just silently, wherever you are, just say these words to him right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I don't deserve it because I do things wrong and I'm sorry and I need your help. I know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take the place of my sins, the things that I do wrong, so that I don't have to. And that he was resurrected to come back to life, to defeat death forever. So right now, I accept the best way I know how. I accept what you did for me, Jesus, through your death and resurrection. And I commit to follow you as my Lord. Thank you for giving me a new life and a new identity. If you just prayed that with your heart a minute, God hears us and says yes. Bible tells us that we need to let other people know about the decisions that we've made. So I want to be able to pray for you today. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to ask you to do something just in a, a, a way to give confidence to what you just done, that you're serious about what you've done. If you just prayed that prayer, nobody else looking around, just raise your hand all around the worship center. If you raise, if you prayed that prayer, thank you so much. Several of you, thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for those who made this decision today. God, it's a new life decision, a new identity decision. And I pray, God, that you would give them the courage in their new life to be able to grow and to learn to become more like you. God, help us as a church to be able to encourage them and to serve them, God, as they learn about this new life and how to be the person that you created them to be. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, we want to give you an opportunity today to, to find that help that you may need. If you need that help, we'd love for you to come and, and let us know. In fact, those of you who raised your hand today, we'd love to, to say just a, a, a very personal prayer for you individually if you would let us do that today. Our staff are down in the front. They'd love to pray with you, just to encourage you and to celebrate with you your decision. So I would ask you in just a moment, we're gonna, there's going to be a song and I would just invite you to come. Just walk down and just tell them I became a Christian today. Just tell them that and they'll know exactly what they can do to pray for you. We want to encourage you in any way we can. We have back in the very back, in the, we have our Journey Begins banners. We have one of our counselors back at the back. I see her 
uh, in the corner back there, she'd love to encourage you and help you in any way that she can. Whatever we can do to help support you, we want to do that. It might be that you just need prayer for something, something else. Just, it doesn't have to do about salvation. You just need prayer. We want to pray for you right now.